The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Uh, we have been spending a number of months now uh, preaching through the Apostles' Creed. We are doing so in a topical format, uh, which is uh, not our normal pattern here, but uh, we're, we're jumping around in different places as it relates to the various articles of the Creed. Today we come to the line, I believe in the communion of saints. And we're going to be looking together at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you haven't already, reach out your hand to a Bible. If you need one, there's one in the pew rack. And turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, or whatever Bible you've got in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we are thinking together about the church. Uh, last week, we looked at the article, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church. And we saw last week that uh, there are oftentimes many different views, or perhaps we could say misunderstandings of what the Bible teaches about that phrase in the Creed, the Communion of Saints, uh, or sorry, the Holy Catholic Church. And I say that because just as there are a spectrum of divergent perspectives of what the Holy Catholic Church means, likewise, the phrase the communion of saints also has somewhat of a spectrum of opinion that what the Bible teaches on that subject, and depending on what uh, visible church communion you're associated with, you might think it means one thing or another. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, just to qualify up front that uh, there are some communions that teach that the phrase, the communion of saints, validates the doctrine that the saints intercede for us, uh, that would cause us to be motivated to pray to a saint so that they would pray for us. That's not what the phrase communion of saints means. The idea that there are glorified saints in heaven who pray on our behalf and intercede, that's not what that means. There are others who think that the communion of saints means uh, that, uh, that there is a, a classification of super-Christians uh, who have gone on into heaven and they are a unique rank that we can somehow benefit from as they have by their merit collected what is often called a treasury of merit that you can withdraw from their merit and benefit from. That's not what we believe the communion of saints means. The communion of saints, here it is, very straightforward. The communion of saints speaks to the fellowship that we have together in the body of Christ with one another and with God. The communion of saints refers to the spiritual bond of fellowship that we have together in the body of Christ and with God. Now, what that means and how it affects our lives is manifold. Lord willing, we're going to seek to understand more about what we mean when we confess together I believe in the communion of saints and not only confess it, but manifest its reality in our lives. We don't want to just say it. We want to live it. So if you've got your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 12, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the scriptures as we hear his word today. Great God in heaven, we bow in your presence to say that you are the eternal triune God and we are created beings. We are not from eternity. We had a beginning. You have no beginning. Our wisdom is limited. 
You are the creator of all knowledge. And so, Lord, we would ask now that as we turn to the Scriptures, that we would humble ourselves to receive by Your authoritative Word given in the Scriptures the truth that You would teach us. And so we pray now, Lord, for the inspiration and illumination of Your Holy Spirit to rest upon us, to direct our minds, to direct our wills and our hearts, that we might be pleasing in Your sight by our true confession of Christ. So come now, bless Your Word to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I hear now the Word of God. You'll see in your bulletin a special emphasis of verse 7, but we're going to be reading the first 13 verses of 1 Corinthians 12. This is the Word of God. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. And so, he writes truth in our hearts today. Uh, we are we're going to come to 1 Corinthians 12 in a roundabout way, by way of the book of Hebrews, by way of the book of Revelation. We're going on something of a tour of the New Testament this morning as we kind of take a 30,000-foot look at what, what does this mean, the idea of the communion of saints. So, uh, people of God, within your mouths, corporately, were these words, I believe in the communion of saints. What did you mean? And, and how does the confession of that article shape your life and shape your expectation of this church and shape your expectation of your spiritual life? We want to know what this means. We want to get an understanding of this idea of the communion of saints by understanding uh, three different communions that you experience as a Christian believer. Three different communions. The communion that you have with God through Christ, firstly. Secondly, the communion that you have with the church triumphant in heaven. And then third, the communion that you have with the visible church that you gather with. So, three communions. Our communion with God through Christ, our communion with the church in heaven, and our communion with the visible church we gather with, this idea of the communion of saints through these three 
communion. So before we think about the communion that we have with the saints and what we even mean when we use the word saints and what that's talking about, uh, before we think about the communion that we have with one another, we have to realize that the very phrase, the communion of saints, has its foundation in everything else we already say in the Apostles' Creed. So the fact that we have a communion of saints is a reality because we have a prior communion with God through everything else the Creed has already stated. Now, I wonder, as we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed together, um, is there more in this than you first thought? Is there, is there more depth and, and more Christian truth that lies behind these ancient words than, than you contemplated in the past? And if that's the case, I hope you're realizing that the Apostles' Creed declares the truth of the Christian faith as a summary of the Bible's teachings as the eternal plan of God the Father who has made the world, who has sent His Son into that world, conceived by the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffering under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, buried, descended into hell, risen, ascended, reigning. And then the Father and the Son sending the Holy Spirit to gather the church. Just want you to appreciate the shape that the Apostles' Creed has for the unfolding purposes of God and the Gospel according to the plan of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to accomplish redemption for sinners and then gather those sinners into a communion of saints. So before we think about the church, before we think about the communion of saints, we should pause and appreciate that the reason why there is a communion of saints is because the triune God has set out a plan of redemption to redeem sinners and cause them to be saints. Because that's what the Bible means when it uses the term saints. What the Apostles' Creed means when it uses the word saints is a forgiven sinner. Not some super-Christian. Not somebody who is of some spiritual tier declared by some spiritual authority here on earth as classifying them with sainthood. That's not what a sainthood, according to the Scriptures, especially in 1 Peter, a saint is a Christian. So when we say we believe in the communion of saints, we say, I believe in what God has done to bring sinners into communion with the Holy God, calling them saints, and then gathering those people together. So as we think about the gathering of those people, we recognize that this gathering would not exist. You would not be here if God, through His mercy, did not bring you into communion with Him in the forgiveness of your sins, the sharing of His Spirit, and granting you eternal life. Our first communion is with God, and then we're called into communion with one another. So, when Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 12, he has that, of course, in the background, the fact that God has brought us into communion with Him. And because God has brought us into communion with Him, we are necessarily in communion together as we are in communion with Him. So the context of 1 Corinthians 12 is that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth as a corporate entity, the church, and Corinth is a church 
that among reputations in the New Testament, uh, Corinth is, shall we say, the most poorly behaved of the New Testament churches. The most evidently divided and divisive and argumentative and immoral and unjust and, well, of poor reputation. Paul writes the church in Corinth to help them understand how this gathering of people from disparate backgrounds and, and diverse identities and different intentions and different purposes has now been brought together in union with God through Christ to be one people. No longer with divisive backgrounds and no longer with all these different identities that made them say, well, I'm better than you and you're worse off than I am and I'm superior to you, but rather one people in communion together. So Paul writes to the church in Corinth about this reality of their communion together as saints. But before we appreciate this communion in Corinth, I want us to think about a different communion first. So keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 12 and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Turn right to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. It's on page 1008 if you're still in a Purack Bible. It's actually on 1009. We're going to look to Hebrews chapter 12 because a reality that is present in the communion of saints here on earth is a communion with the saints in heaven. So before we talk about and think about the communion of saints here on earth, we think about our communion with God. We also think about our communion with the saints in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, what we're finding is that believers are in the communion with all other saints, even those who are already risen to heaven. By virtue of our union with Christ, we are united with them. Believers, through faith in Jesus, are united together with all believers. Now, said at the beginning that we don't believe in praying to the dead. We don't believe in asking those in heaven to intercede for us here on earth. So how should we think about the saints in heaven? I want you to look at what Hebrews chapter 12 says, specifically at verse 22. Hebrews 12 verse 22, the writer of Hebrews speaks about the kingdom that we have that we share together with all the saints. Hebrews 12, verse 22 says, But you, church, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So as we think about the communion of saints, what that means, I want us to think about our communion with the saints who are in heaven, that we here on earth share communion with. Notice how in verse 22, the writer of Hebrews says that we as the church have come to spiritually Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we have come to gather with, in verse 23, the assembly, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. What the book of Hebrews is saying here to you is that if you are a Christian who lives on earth, you have fellowship 
with believers who are in heaven. That you have a communion with the people of God who are saints in glory because we are part of the same body. We are united to the same Savior they are united to. Even though we are still in the flesh and they are in the Spirit in heaven, we are nevertheless joined together, the Bible says, in this assembly. The church. The word there in verse 23 for assembly is a word that could be translated as church. The church in heaven, in other words. That even though we here on earth are separated by a vast distance, those who are in heaven are joined together with us in one glorious church. We are united with them. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about the idea of a church gathered in heaven. Now the Bible tells us a, a good bit of detail about the church in heaven, but the primary detail that it says about the church in heaven is that the church in heaven is a church in unceasing worship. What the church does in heaven is what the church did here on earth as it gathered worship and now in heaven the church continually worships if you want to see that turn right further still with me into the book of revelation in the book of revelation in chapter 6 the john is given various depictions of the gathering of the saints in heaven as a way of encouraging him to write to the church on earth to continue to press on and persevere and be faithful. And he gets these, 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 these glances, this peek, if you like, through a veil at the reality of the church in heaven. And John sees these various things. Like, for example, in Revelation 6, look especially at verses 9 through 11. He is seeing a picture of those who have been martyred for their faith. He sees them under the altar as the lamb breaks the fifth seal. And he sees under the altar the souls of those who have been slain for their faithfulness to the gospel. Because of the word of God and because of the testimony of Christ, they maintained faithfulness on the earth. They were killed by their faithful witness. And now those saints are gathered in heaven under the altar. And this is what they say. How long, O Lord? How long? In verse 10, How long, Lord, holy and true, will you refrain? Will you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. John is given this picture of the saints in heaven, especially those who had been martyred. And it is the saints in heaven, it is their desire that God would bring about the consummation. Do you see their question? How long? How much longer? How long, Lord, until you execute your judgment? How long must we wait? 
How long until Christ appears in the fullness of His glory to vindicate His kingdom? And how long, O Lord, until Your plan is fully consummated when You will bring all things in union together in heaven and on earth into one glorious new heavens and new earth for all eternity? How long, Lord, until that reality takes place? And they're still asking that question. Why? Because it hasn't happened yet. And when you think about the church that is in heaven, and you think about their desires, and you think about their love, and you think about their activity, and you think about the, the beating of their soul's desire, and then you think about us, your mind should begin to expand with wonder. What is the church in heaven doing as it gathers around the altar to worship the Lamb it is giving praise to Jesus Christ. So what I want to say to you is that the communion that we have with that visible church, or sorry, the invisible church in heaven, the communion that we have with the saints in heaven is a communion that we share when we gathered to worship God, when we do what they are doing. Very practically, what I'm saying to you is, is that you will never be closer to heaven than when you are here with the saints worshiping Jesus Christ. Because that's what the saints in heaven are doing continuously. Our local church is, to use an expression, an outpost of heaven. We are in the visible church the suburbs of glory. The outer edges and foretaste of the eternal communion that exists of all the people of God with God. We share in this communion with this heavenly church. And we sing about that in hymns like the church's one foundation when we say, Yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one and a mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. What does that mean? Do you have faithfully departed loved ones? Your grandparents, perhaps. Your parents, perhaps. People that have loved and treasured Christ throughout their lives who have gone on ahead of you. What are they doing? They're worshiping God around the throne, crying out the praises of the Lamb. And dear friends, you are never nearer to them than when you join in doing what they are continually doing. We should experience the joy of that continuing spiritual union that we have with the church as we worship God. The very realization that we are still united to that church, though we are here on earth. One of the beautiful things that the Evangelical Presbyterian Church does is that every year, I've told you this before, I believe, but every year when the General Assembly meets, it has a special time when a roster of names are read out, which is all the ruling and teaching elders that have died in the previous year since the last gathering of the General Assembly. And every single name is read along with the church that they served in, interspersed between the verses of the hymns for all the saints. And we read out their names as we consider that, that these loved ones have gone on to glory but we still share a communion with them. So this is the hymn that we're going to sing later on here as we respond to the Word. But if you don't know the hymn for all the saints, it speaks about 
that glorious union that exists. Oh, blessed communion, fellowship divine. We feebly struggle, but they in glory shine. It speaks about the reality that the church is here on earth, but the church is also there in heaven. And they're not two separate churches. They're one church. One of my favorite lines in that hymn, which is not in our hymnal, which is why I have to tell it to you. This hymn has like 16 verses, just so you know. There's a line that says, When the strife is fierce and the warfare long steals on the ear the distant triumph song, then hearts are brave again and arms are strong. What that's talking about is that we, the church on earth, are so often given to struggle, so often given to weariness and sorrow, but there is a church in heaven, and when we hear the triumph song of the church in heaven, it gives us strength to press on. So promise me something, will you? That if I go and you're still here, that we sing this hymn. Because it speaks to this reality. But lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The King of glory passes on His way. Hallelujah. What this does for us, when you think about the communion of saints, when you think about the church that is in heaven, it is supposed to fill you with courage. It's supposed to fill you with strength. It's supposed to cause you to press on. The way the book of Hebrews presents it back there in chapter 12 is that it depicts the Christian life as a race, and we are still running it, but there is a finish line, and the saints are gathered there with the triune God, cheering us on as if to say, keep going. Keep running. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, you oftentimes feel like you're running with such a minority that you're worried that everybody else is making the right decision by not worshiping Jesus. And yet, on that narrow road that you continue to run on, the church in heaven cheers you on and says, keep going. And when we as a church gather for worship, we are joining that heavenly church in that communion of the worship of the triune God. And that's what we mean when we speak of the communion of saints of the church in heaven. But that's not all. Because the reality that we have communion with the saints in heaven is also a reality that we have a communion with the saints here on earth. So go back then to 1 Corinthians 12. I told you it was a roundabout way. I'm also revealing to you how uncomfortable I am preaching topically. I feel like a lost puppy wandering around in the Bible when I do it this way. But come back to 1 Corinthians 12 with me. Because the church has a communion with God the church has a communion with the saints on heaven, in heaven, and we also have a communion with the saints here on earth. That's specifically what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12. That believers through union with Christ are in communion with the church that is both in heaven and here on earth. That we as a physical gathering of the local church have a communion together that we are the communion of saints, and as a result, we have certain obligations. So, for example, Paul can say in verse 7, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, that to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That is to say that there is an emphasis of the unity of the body 
that we make up as individuals this greater entity called the church, this greater entity called the local assembly of the church of God. He tells the Corinthians, look, you've been given these gifts. This is the context of chapter 12. You have these gifts, you have these talents, you have these skills, but they don't belong to you. The reason why God has given them to you is so that you would share them with this body. The reason why you have these gifts is so that you would share them. They belong to the body. God gave you a gift for the common good. Paul uses other language when he describes the mystery of marriage, when he talks about the fact that, that the husband belongs to the wife and the wife belongs to the husband in beautiful mutuality. And so we can say then in the picture that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 12 that that you belong to each other. Not in the intimate way of marriage, of course, but in the sense of the intimacy of the body of Christ gathered together for the purposes of sharing in the gifts that God has given us as He has poured out His Spirit upon us and brought us together. We are gathered for the purpose of sharing our gifts as God has given them to us. So, what are your gifts? Whatever they are, the Apostle Paul would tell you that they're not really yours. That they belong to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because fundamentally they are from the Lord who gives them to you to steward. And so in other places in 1 Corinthians, he'll say that a church that is so often divided, they were divided in these various camps by their leaders. And the church in Corinth would say, well, we follow Paul," And the other group would say, well, we follow Apollos. It would be like here in Edgington saying, well, I'm a part of Zach's church. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm a part of Patrick's church or Mick's church or Kevin's church. Right? Paul has to correct a church that thinks that way and says, no, no, no. You are in mutual submission one to another. The church doesn't belong to any one individual. It is God's church that we share together all things for the common good. And God has poured out His Spirit for the sake of this common good. Your gift is not yours. It belongs to the body. My gifts aren't mine. They're to be used to benefit you. And your gifts are to be used to benefit your neighbor and vice versa and all the way around. So he says in verse 12 in this same chapter, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. For we are united together, Paul says, in one spirit, a body. So I would just ask, I mean, is this something that we understand? Is this something that Edgington manifests? And I, you know, in varying degrees, I would say yes, but do we need to continually manifest it? Yes. When we speak of the communion of saints, Paul says we are members of one another and share in a body. That brings about both blessings and obligations, responsibilities of mutual communion. Are we so close that we can be called a body as we share joys and sorrows and trials and thanksgivings and all the rest? Do we express care and sympathy and service? Do we, do we give in times of need? Do we come alongside and pray? Do we lend material aid? Do we show up 
One of my favorite seminary professors said, like 75% of ministry is just showing up. Being a presence. How is it that we as a church need to continually show up for one another as we live out the reality of this communion of saints that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12? Do we mourn together and do we rejoice together? You are not a Christian island. You are a part of the continent. We are not individual islands in the midst of a vast ocean separate from one another in the church. We are gathered together in communion. There are both positive effects of this and potential negative effects of this. The positive effects of this are, of course, the joy that we share. But there is potential negative effects when there arises within the communion of the saints a disparaging of the communion of saints that says, no, 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 this is my church and I'll have it my way and I demand or whatever else. Or a person who says the church exists to serve me and meet my needs. That undermines this notion of the communion of saints and the church exists as a body so that when there are times perhaps of Sickness or malfunction of one part of the body, there is corrective grace that comes alongside one member or another member and says, don't go that way. Stay with us. Stay with us as we manifest the communion of the saints. That means that our physical, visible gathering of the communion of saints, as we meet together to express the communion that we have with the eternal God, as we meet together to express that we have communion with the church in heaven, we meet together to express the communion that we have on a horizontal dimension, one with another. So we'll just close with these thoughts then. Touched on it last week, and it might seem like a resounding drum type of thing that a pastor would say, but it's got to be said. I want you to realize, loved ones, how important being here is. I want you to realize how important being here is as an act of personal encouragement to encourage one another as we share our confession. When you stand up and say, I believe, and you join the voices of other people who are saying, I believe it is a corporate profession of we believe and when you locate yourself within that body it is wonderfully powerful and encouraging that there are other people who share your convictions there are other people who are seeking to live as you do as followers of Jesus not perfectly of course but sincerely you're not alone and the church exists as a communion of saints to encourage you as you press on in your confession as a Christian we sing to the Lord, but we also sing to one another. It makes me think, you know, whatever, a year ago when we weren't gathered together and it was just me singing solos to an empty sanctuary, highly anxious about what you thought about my voice as it came through the microphone through live stream. <laughs> but we sing to one another. And we sing as the church corporately as a word of personal encouragement, as a word of public witness, I want to say to you that one of the strangest acts 
of cultural nonconformity that you can exercise is to wake up on Sunday and go to church. Because you will be doing what a vast majority of your neighbors are not doing. But that doesn't mean we turn to them and say, what's wrong with you? No, we turn to them and say, you should join us. You should join us as the communion of saints express faith in God. Dear friends, it might seem strange and it might seem discouraging to you to do what most of your friends or perhaps most of your neighbors are not doing. But then again, when we have a dimension and a perspective that sees that we share a communion of saints both horizontally and vertically with the church in heaven, it fills us with encouragement. It fills us with joy to know that we are a part of the kingdom of God, the household of faith, the heavenly Zion, which is eternal. And you belong. And you're wanted. And you're loved. So when we say, I believe in the communion of saints, we mean all of that. So I'll simply say, what a wonderful thing to be a Christian. And to share together in the communion of saints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would fill us with love and admiration and affection and a, a jealousy for service to the bride of Christ. We thank you, Lord, both for our church visible and for that invisible church with its gathered together, the innumerable congregation in heaven. How often we feel our hearts joined to theirs in praise. And Lord, in moments of discouragement, Help us to lift our eyes by faith to behold Jesus Christ again as we love the communion of saints. Through Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.